and I ship over some backpacks. They're terribly made. They cost a bomb. Um, the shipping was three times as expensive as the backpacks. Some of my money gets like caught within a transaction over to Ghana, and I have to get my aunt to bail bail me out with a message saying, "You know, my money was meant to be sent to Ghana, but it's got stuck. Can you send some money over?" And this was like a couple of grand. So, you know, she was obviously quite nervous about that because it's that sounds like some sort of email about a Nigerian prince that, you know, you just you can you can obtain his wealth if you just send over to, like you know by now jack who you're going to hear from in a moment was on his third business jack's only 24 and he's been so motivated in creating his own business and he's still also going to university at the same time when he's developing all of this this is just a fabulous, interesting story about a young man who's looking to become an entrepreneur, has massive hurdles to overcome, whether it be a fire at his home, moving homes, traveling the world, and some of the really incredible hardships he's had to overcome, like mental health and just other things in life. You're really going to enjoy the story to see and to learn how actually you can overcome massive hurdles in life and still keep your dream alive of developing a business. Enjoy. Staying Alive UK. Share your story. Welcome to the Share Your Story podcast, Jack. How are you today? I'm great. How are you, Michael? Yeah, I'm brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the on the podcast with me today. Oh, I'm pleasure. really looking forward to hearing your story. I've I've heard bits of it, obviously, because we've met in person. We've had a cup of coffee and a chat and everything, but I, there are still missing bits for me. And what we'll we'll tell our listeners how we met originally in the fullness of of this interview. Um, but I know your story is super fascinating and, and I can't wait to hear it, all of it. I can't wait to hear all of it. Amazing. <laughs> so I'm going to start with my first question that all my listeners know I ask, and that's tell us a little bit about your personal life. That means where were you born? Yeah. A bit about your education. Did you move around the country mm -hmm. or internationally or whatever? Yeah. Um, you know, where you now live or have you moved around just to get a, people get a sense of of where you've come from and where you're going. But then then, you know, after education, we'll transition into your first job and then we'll move on to the business side a little bit later. But um, over to you. OK, awesome. So, um, so you know, the, the old adage that life isn't always easy. Well, I think I found that that out about 30 seconds after I was born or right. during being born. I had the uh, umbilical cords strangling me as I was as I was trying to come out, and so it was obviously causing a lot of tension for my mum. And um, you know, it was just a very stressful situation, I imagine. Mm -hmm. But uh, luckily, I popped out. And um, I think one of the things that my my parents always always say is that you know, I was I was looking around, my eyes were were so big, and just you know, I was like trying to take everything in, and it was you know, I was just, my head was going from one place to another, just trying to get as much 
information, I guess, as, as possible. <laughs> um, so I was born in Hackney in London, and we only stayed in that, that area of sort of East London for, for two years. And then we moved up to, to obviously where, where kind of your base now in Bewdley in Worcestershire, because that's where my dad's from. Right. And that's also where my brother was born as well. So we now live along the riverside, and this property was kind of almost derelict when it was bought and during those times you know my dad and my my granddad were kind of doing it up and making it livable um so yeah in terms of schooling so it kind of grew into that house as it was developing and it developed kind of with us which was quite interesting um and yeah so I, so in terms of school I, I went to this kind of church of england school in Bewdley. um it started off as a kind of first uh, first, middle, and kind of secondary school. Yeah. Uh, so I went through the first school. That was absolutely, well, I say it was absolutely fine. It was, there were a lot of like tri- trials and tribulations during during our the school years. So, for instance, we, um, you know, I, I had kind of epilepsy during that time. So, so I, I'd have kind of fits, and I had to, have to be on quite serious medication. And I think, you know, that sometimes I wasn't in, in the set that maybe I should have been because I it had like unintended consequences. Sure. But then, um, on terms of kind of a friend basis, we, you know, we developed this quite strong friendship group and, um, I had, had one friend who, <laughs> so I, I went to him and said, Oh, don't you think the headmaster's a bit fat? And, um, he immediately put his hand up in class and told, told the teacher. Oh. So I, you know, I was, uh, at the age of about five, I was sent sent. Well, no, five or six, I was sent to the, to the uh, headmaster. To say, oh, what have you been saying about me? And, <laughs> so that, yeah. Oh my god. So, uh, so it was a bit, bit of an awkward one there. Um, How old were you then? Yeah, so I'm, I, I must have been between six or eight. It, right. It was year two, maybe or year one. So it was mm. really early on in those uh, those school years. Um, but actually my, my school years were a bit strange because I had two friends and, um, one of them, his dad passed away of kidney failure in first school. And then my other friend, his mum was kind of very ill during the school years. And so towards the last end of school, um, this, this same kid, his mum passed. So his dad passed away when, when I was younger and then his mum passed away in secondary school wow. I th- and I think that had quite a deep impact on me because it was never something that we really talked about no. it was always something that was just just there and you know you, you didn't really know like, because it was never brought up it was never something that was spoken about so I think that's all that's kind of gone into my thinkings about death and 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 things like that so so that's that, that's been been something that's quite interesting mm. uh, and because my other friend had hit his mum also had um, a serious lung condition and didn't quite make it. So it's, uh, yeah, so kind of was a bit of like a, a grey gray shade or black shade kind of behind. Yes. Behind maybe some of the uh, other things that were going on at school. Um, yeah, and, and we weren't the most popular group at school either. We were all a bit, a bit odd and um, a bit eccentric. Right. Uh, I think because of that as well, we didn't get on with the the sort of popular kids, and so we always we were kind of got the brunt end of it. I mean, I, 
I remember almost you know being kicked down uh, a flight of stairs in in second in the middle school. Wow. Uh, yeah, just not kind of getting on with one of the kids or something, and um, yeah, it was it was a very it was a very interesting time, and it was it was very much like the in betweeners, like it was it was like the earlier version of the in betweeners, if you imagine it in kind of middle school or, or first school. So. Um, <laughs> yeah so, mm. so yeah it was a it was a kind of a strange event and then kind of moving on from from, from that and, and kind of all the things that went on there I, I moved to um, a private school which only had some from going from like a state comprehensive which is quite huge and having 30 people in a class yes then had 30 people in a year because I think the issue was I, I went to this we went to from the middle school to the secondary school and you know, I was just failing all my classes, um, and I wasn't engaged, and I wasn't, I wasn't really being supported in the way that I needed to kind of be because, you know, I maybe had some like from almost kind of from the ep- epilepsy stuff. I've, I've almost had some like learning difficulties coming out of that. Yes. I mean, I couldn't really. I had to have handwriting classes, and this was in year nine, so. You know, you're you're about to approach your GCSEs, and there's me having English and handwriting lessons because I can't write. And it's yeah, it was um, it was just a very very interesting and and strange and strange time. Um, yeah, can imagine. And so yeah, I went to this kind of this this school he filled and thirty people in my year, and it was a completely different world because you know we had the the found the founder of Poundland's son mm-hmm. at school, and so. I've gone from seeing people. I've gone from going to parties in the Kidderminster council estate to going to parties in someone's house where they've got the bar and you know this like wonderful kind of showroom and you know there's Range Rovers everywhere and oh, it, was just, it was a complete and utter contrast. It was really quite insane. So so yeah, that's kind of. Oh, and then from there, I then, because of kind of disagreements with my parents and and things and kind of almost like troubles at home, um, and I, actually I had a house fire as well the last year of my, my GCSE coursework. <gasps> had a house fire in Butley, and um, yeah, it completely destroyed everything. So, What, the, two- the house that you'd refurbished? Yeah, yeah. So... What had happened was a curtain had come over the light bulb, started smoldering, because I think it was something along the lines of I'd gone to bed, turned the lights off, and then my mum and my brother come in quite late from a trip, so I ran downstairs. But I turned the lights on when I before I ran downstairs, mm-hmm. not knowing that the light light bulb was underneath the curtain. And so when I came back up, the whole curtain was on fire. <gasps> Wow. Um, it was just almost too big to put out. And it, yeah, it dropped into my, I had a bucket of GCSE coursework that I was working on underneath this curtain, which it dropped into. So all my coursework then set on fire. Oh. Which uh, was running out of the house. Um, and um, yeah, and it was just a, it was a kind of very, very strange experience strange experience had two fire engines come we had the guy that owned the pub down the road come in with a fire extinguisher and try and sort it out except i had a um 
one of those exercise balls which exploded oh yeah um luckily it was okay but well a medicine ball or yes yeah, uh, not a medicine ball like a swiss ball right right the yeah. spongy one yeah yeah well the big inflatable one that's it um and yeah <laughs> and someone had to know it from my dad who was in the pub four doors down and so he just comes along with his pint and just looking at this burning inferno with two fire engines outside Whoa. yeah so it was in it's obviously in the paper and i had to move out and so this was kind of back end of my gcse's i had to move out of my parents house and move in with my grandmother um which was interesting and nice and i think that's why i got, kind of got quite a deep relationship with her right. um, and yeah so that was all very strange and i think actually during that time as well I, because i'd gone and gone from this contrast of state school to to private school i was kind of cut between two different types of people or um two different i don't know how circles i guess and so yes. i actually ended up you know s- selling well weed and drugs to um to people in my my private school um and yeah so that was i think my gran had caught me at one point right like doing something with 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 the and uh yeah so it was a very very strange time and quite turbulent as well Mm. Uh, and what kind of age were you then so this is back end of gcse so this is 16 okay so you're in your teens now and everything is going haywire Oh yeah, yeah. Not just so, in your own impersonal, in your own kind of world, but external world as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I, mean, I think there was another situation in which we'd gone to a rowing because I I'd kind of briefly taking up rowing, obviously because Beaudley is quite known for that. And um, yes, we went to a regatta, and obviously the, in this whole rowing culture, there's still a lot of drinking involved with that. And um, we were in this sort of camping sites with um yeah so we were in this camping site with all this other rowing these other rowing teams and it was quite it's quite nice and it was fairly safe except that i think these local boys came around and uh, for some reason i think i was on my own or um and they uh they basically one of them had like a mallet and it was just kind of ridiculous and yeah they just sort of started on me and uh and yeah, it was all uh so I can't well, yeah, and I wouldn't say I got beaten up, but I certainly got a black eye out of it. And yes. um and so that was quite quite strange going back into this the school the next day. Obviously no one's ever really been in a fight or been hurt or and so trying to explain, you know, what happened and so I was kind of in this Heathfield school, I was quite known I was known as almost the oddball because I'd come out of a completely different institution. Mm. And with some completely different values, and yeah, it was just uh, so I was kind of yeah, it was just very. I had a very different perspective to a lot of the kids in the school, which was odd. So, so did you feel? Did you feel the odd one out? Oh, for, for sure, for a lot, for a long time, yeah. So, yeah, first two years of that school, I kind of had a group of friends of about four, three or four people, and they were all people that, you know um was weren't they weren't state school no they weren't private school people they were still very much saw themselves as like state school or um or saw themselves as 
um, not in that class bracket, I think. Yeah. Which yeah. was quite a big differentiator because it was a, was a different world. But for me, I think I always had that inkling that I wanted to do better and I wanted to be in that that other world because if you look at my family, so the house the house I'm currently staying in at the moment from to this podcast is my my aunt and uncle's house in Windsor, which is you know, it's a fabulous six bedroom house and amazing gardens and obviously it's in a very nice area. And you've got two of my other uncles. One owns kind of a huge, huge publishing company for sports. Um, and, you know, he's got offices in Chicago and the UK. And obviously, so it's a, it's a massive global operation. And my other uncle, who used to own this incredible estate agent around the whole of um, you know, Worcestershire and the black country and and sold that for, for a significant amount of money. So yeah. I knew even within my family that, you know, there were – there were people doing particularly well and there were there was affluence there and available yeah uh, but it wasn't something that we'd particularly as a family kind of locked in on or, or grasped and so i've always been puzzled by the issue of you know why why are some people not in that position and other people are you know what's the differentiator right um and so that's that's always been a very interesting thought thought for me so mm. to kind of finish up on the whole school thing. Um, yes. So after so after all that stuff had happened at sixteen, I, I moved down to Windsor, lived with my aunt, because my my mental health was sort of suffering from from being up in up in that that area. Yes. Um, and I joined this this other school, which was it was a state school, but it was almost like a private school. So it was called the Windsor Boys School. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was it was just a really nice, um, an interesting time, and I met some really great people. Who again had a completely different perspective, made some really great friends, um, and it was a lot less sort of turbulent and troublesome. And you know, we'd, I was able to kind of host parties um, or gatherings at my aunt's house, which was really nice. And I'd go to kind of more laid-back gatherings, parties, and there wasn't really the intensity that I think was up in Worcestershire, and, and maybe that sort of drinking culture as well, which was was up there as well um and so and so yeah it was just a very very interesting experience to sort of round off that whole whole school life and you know there were a couple of key events in that time which were really really amazing so i went on a rugby tour around america um met some incredible people had (laughs) had some crazy times you know i went to an american frat party which was just insane um and a what party? A frat party. So you know when someone goes. So America's like known for the spring break uh, yes. university. So although we were at school, the person I was staying with just so happened to have come back from university, and he'd previously been part of the school that we were now playing rugby against. Right. But he said, "Look, I've been to Windsor twice, and you guys show me the best time because obviously." I guess from his perspective, the drinking age was 18 in, in the UK, whereas in America it was 21. So right. he was opened up to a whole new world that he never really had had before or been seen before. Right. Uh, and so, so he kind of was on this mission. We didn't really know about this, but he was on this mission to kind of give us the best, I guess, party experience possible. Yes. 
because he had had such a good time. So, and he was just a really, really nice guy. And, um, he showed us around so many places in Chicago. Um, and so, so that was like, and, but, but going to America is a, is a weird, is a weird one really, because mm. you, you've got such divided neighborhoods and we, obviously from the UK, we don't really have that as much. I mean, it's, it's probably just a too small a country to maybe have such divisions and, and maybe it's not in our culture, but you know, the particular neighborhoods in, in the States that we couldn't go to and yes. there were some really horrible games played. I mean, my other friends lived in a American military, ex-military home it was kind of on the verge of Ku, Ku Klux Klan. Whoa. Uh, and they would play this horrific game called Spoons where they would like go into, as it, as it was called, a black neighborhood. Um, and, you know, they would they would find a group of people just standing around and they would, um, I think, shout the N-word, throw a spoon. And if the spoon didn't hit someone, then they'd have to go and pick up the spoon. And they were just driving around in their sort of, you know, hillbilly forklift um pickup trucks and yes i just couldn't really believe that that was their their idea of fun and mm. um it was just yeah it was just a very a very enlightening experience going to the states because it was just very bizarre really on a lot of levels mm. how long did you do that for how long were you in the states for so we we're in in the states. For, it was only actually two and a bit weeks. It wasn't long at all. So we went right. New York, Boston, Chicago, and then Buffalo, which is this the town where Niagara Falls is on the U.S. side. Right. Although we didn't actually see Niagara Falls, which I thought was a bit stupid. It's a shame. <laughs> I mean, you go all that way and you don't see the falls. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, it was it was still an amazing time. Mm. Um, and yeah, with with incredible people as well. Um, and what? And, and I know you said it was there was like an exchange or something that happened, but so they, so they, so they hosted us to right, live. Right. Right. So each city would be hosted by different people. Ah, right. These are all people that were previously hosted by, um, by the, our school. Right. So stay with like boys that. Um, so yeah, the, the boys on the rugby team, they'd have someone to stay with them and yeah, got you, got you. Yeah. And, and I guess it is good because you get to see another part of the world and how oh, people yeah. live and what their world looks like. And it Definitely. just opens your eyes to different possibilities as well, doesn't it? Oh, a hundred percent. And I think. I, that's kind of been a theme throughout my life is going to different places and understanding different people and seeing different environments as well, because it's, it, it has been, I mean, you could say it was almost confusing growing up, but actually it's kind of a blessing now because you know that even though there are kind of different, maybe class structures or different people in different um, social groups and different countries and different cultures, but Actually, overall, there's a lot of underlying fundamental principles between all of these people. Yes. And so I think that's that's kind of what I learned from from all these eclectic experiences. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, so, and the rugby stuff was going on when you were still in school, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I was still in school. So 
so I think so, so and then towards the last round of this this school thing I kind of my mental health was really quite tr- almost kind of suffering a little bit because again there was kind of more turbulent times coming in the sense that my cousin um changed gender and so for him becoming a man was a very difficult time and he was the son of the family I was staying with in Windsor. So there was a lot of stuff going on there that, mm. you know, I, there was like underlying, you know, stress, is this going to be okay? Is this going to work out sort of thing? Yes. That I was sort of, you know, aware of and feeling. And and so, so and I, I look back now and, you know, I look, well, I look at him now and think, well, He's so happy. He's about to get married to this wonderful girl, and they've been together for four or five years. Um, but at the time, it was very turbulent, and we really didn't know how it was going to unfold or what was going to happen. Um, of course, yeah. And it's it's something new, different as well. It's not yeah something you come across. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It certainly didn't didn't add stability to, <laughs> to my life at the time, but. Um, Again, I think that's a blessing rather than a than anything else. Mm, understood. Yeah. Okay. So, what happened after that? What about after the education, or is there a bit more education to come after that? Um, so that was sort of the end. Of, that was my A levels, and so I guess um, in terms of anything interesting in in A levels was that you know I, I did my maths A level in one year, which I think was something different that, that many people kind of had, didn't do. Um, and um, is there anything? And I met I had this economics teacher that was utterly crazy. Um, she was amazing. And, you know, I still keep in touch with her to this day, but she was the most unconventional teacher. And In what way? Well, okay, so she had very unconventional rules and she was very, um, and she was very, un- an unconventional teaching style, but she was also slightly racist as well. And in a school that was, so this is Windsor, which is a white middle class area. But then you've got its catchment area, which was Slough, which is a plethora of different cultures and um, kind of mainly um, not not um, sort of not. I'm trying to so kind of India, Pakistan, um, Bangladesh, that mm-hmm. that sort of that sort of area. Yes. Um, so you can, you can, and so there was not only was the kind of rivalry between maybe the white middle class and the, those, that sort of more cosmopolitan area, but actually yeah. in the cosmopolitan area, there was a lot of tension between the Sikhs, the Muslims, and, and almost that was worse. The tension between the Sikhs and the Muslims was really quite, quite a rift that <clears throat> was probably more intense in the city of Slough. Then maybe we got in Windsor, but it was we still kind of heard about kind of some of the terrible things that went on, and Slough as well was quite. Um, it was it, was, it had a, quite a lot of problems. It, the city itself had quite a lot of problems, and there was always a lot of drug crime and police cars and you know people trafficking and um, kind of like the like the sex industry and, and things like that. So. So it always had this reputation as well, um, which didn't help the people that kind of lived around Slough. Yes. Coming into the school. Um, 
and and yeah, so, so, so that was kind of kind of interesting, like like viewing that and um, yeah. So that was that was just something that was quite interesting going going through. And anyway, mm-hmm. so so in terms of my grades and what I was doing, I, I oh so for this economics teacher, back to that. Um, yes. So so there were a couple of instances where I think she she said, oh, you it was she set like a challenge of you know what's the um yeah you've got a you there's a your earth's going to be destroyed or something you've got one rocket ship who do you take and then you each had to be someone you got given like a card with i don't know with um with something like so with a note on it saying oh you're this person you're a nuclear scientist or you're a shoemaker oh yeah and you had like a minute to pitch why you should be on this ship right and I don't know, it was kind of an unfortunate, maybe it was too easy to kind of kind of make fun of, but <clears throat> one of the kind of Asian guys was a shoemaker and he was like, oh, well, I've really got to step this up if I'm going to get on board this kind of make-believe ship. Mm. So he said that he was also undercover, like <clears throat> bomb detection or bomb operations and he, like, and, and like had all these like, and like he just knew all this stuff about military and like bombs and at the time it was it was just it was i think maybe just after 911 or or something like that and i think the, te- the teacher actually made a comment about oh well what well, you probably have like a bomb in your shoe or something and i mean it was just oh wow yeah so so that so so she was kind of very open about how she might have how she felt uh, because she lived in Slough, and so I think she there were all these like she might yeah she had issues with certain I guess demographics or whatever and substances. Yeah, I, and I, and I guess she was. Um, I, I'll talk a little bit, give you a chance to have a drink of water, but <laughs> I I guess I um, from what I'm hearing there, obviously she was anti the extremism side of you know religion in some way <laughs> but she was making a judgment and an assumption that this yeah. person was an extremist you know oh, yeah, sure. and 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 this is what happens because there's a small percentage of populations that go in that are extreme in their views and their actions and all of a sudden we assume that everybody that originates from that, you know, particular region of the world ha- has those same thoughts and beliefs, which of course yeah. is totally untrue. No, and exactly. um, I mean, it's, it's just unfortunate that people have decided, you know, to become extreme in their thoughts and beliefs. Which, yeah. of course, we also know is learned behavior because, you know, they don't come into the planet thinking that's what they're going to be like. They've got to learn that from, uh, from know, somewhere else, yeah. From parents, from peers, from schooling, from you name it. They, they've got to learn it somehow. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I mean, you see that, I guess you see that with um, these sort of child warriors in parts of Africa that, um, you know, were brought up from mm. such. Age that the only thing they knew was violence, and that's right. Um, yes, yeah, it, it really is horrific. But th- this teacher was, um, 
quite an insane character as well because so not only was she kind of a bit like that and a bit outspoken but she would be trading on the currency markets while teaching us so you know she might be saying something about the the lesson about something economic based about supply and demand and you know she'd be like, oh wait hold on a sec i've just got to make a trade and you know she'd be <laughs> she'd be buying and selling you know usd or or pounds or um hong kong dollars um throughout the day while, while teaching us yes um and then she was also quite extreme in the sense that you know most economic teachers they would do supply and demand maybe the flower market well no she would do of the the prostitution industry or in like um and there was one time when she said oh everything you've got is made from china and you know to the boys but i don't believe you i think you know i think the uk has got a pretty good reputation i think you know there's some stuff that must be made in europe or something mm. and she's like okay well when you go home well you can just take off all your clothes that are made in china and just keep on everything else that's, that's not anyway <laughs> <laughs> they didn't do it at home they did it in the classroom <laughs> and they were sat there in their boxes and a tie and the boxes were made in china but obviously they didn't want to take those off no um and it was literally the the only thing that was not made in china was the tie out of, out of the whole school uniform oh my god yeah so <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was very exciting and interesting i mean in you... class but yeah, so she is extreme in the way that she teaches, but that particular thing you've never forgotten about it, right? No. <laughs> You'll never forget no. about oh, it. Exactly. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh yeah, I was very lucky to have kind of met her and mm. to see that kind of character as well because you know, it's not often that that you meet someone like that really. No, and the thing is you 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 learn about people's beliefs mm. as well, don't you? I yeah. mean, they're obviously, and it also shows you there are good things about people and not so great things about people. Yeah. And, you know, and it allows you to make a judgment as well. Mm. Yeah. No, that's, I, yeah, I completely get that. Yeah. I can see that kind of looking back on it now. Brilliant. So she taught you lots of stuff then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, taught me my street street smarts, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what happened after that? So so after that, I did my exams and I got two A's and a C. And you'll never guess that the C was in economics. Right. Um, it, from... I had this belief that, oh, well, if I've got an A in maths and A in chemistry, I must be science or engineering-based because economics, you know, I didn't do very well in that. I can't really – I must not have the ability to do business or something. Yeah. Well, not do business, but to study it or to go into that area. Yeah. So then I got caught onto this scheme. Cool. Because at the time I was looking for – I kind of heard about, you know, people working for KPMG, this tax firm, and, you know, they were working while going to university. And I kind of thought, oh, well, maybe there's something like that I can do. And I found this scheme that basically gave you an engineering placement a year before going to university. Right. So I signed up to it, did loads of interviews, 
and I got essentially a year's year-long work experience at EDF Energy um, in the nuclear department or sector. Right. And I was writing reports to the government on the on on the safety of the nuclear power station and whether or not we should extend the life of the power station. Right. So it was kind of a quite high profile job and it was Incredible. kind of yeah, and it was quite very interesting. I say it was interesting. It was interesting to start off with because it sounded amazing, but once you sort of delved into the process, once you delved into the detail, you realised that it was so arduous and it was so bureaucratic. And you know, one of one of my jobs was to analyse the safety department. And as a, I mean, I think I just turned eighteen. Yes. You know, as an eighteen-year-old kid asking this department of 40 to 50 year old men that have done their job for probably that amount of time. You know, they didn't particularly like it. Um, and it made my, my job a little bit difficult and I caused a lot of tension between our department and their department. Um, uh, but I, overall, I just didn't really, I didn't enjoy the experience because one, I didn't have a great manager, you know, he didn't really particularly support me or kind of, he didn't really try and you know, give me interesting projects or kind of help me along. We didn't really build a rapport, I guess. It's, that's probably more it. We didn't really build a rapport yes. in each other. Um, and there were th- small things like you'd have to hold the handrail when walking down the stairs. And every time I held the handrail, I'd get an electric shock. Oh. And, you know, just I, so I was just like going into this nine to five routine of not really doing a lot of work because I wasn't really get, being given a lot of work and I wasn't really making much impact because I was bottom of the food chain and mm. it was just this kind of nine to five drudgery um, and yeah it was just you scan in scan out and oh it was just so that so that wasn't particularly enjoyable my house was kind of full filled with mold and Actually, this was another instance of kind of class differentiation. So we had this girl from Charterhouse School staying, staying with us who, um, in Charterhouse School, if you don't know it, it was about 40 to 50 grand a year to, to go to. Right. Um, and she'd obviously been there for the whole school and life. And so you've got her who likes to go sailing and, and going on all these yachts. And, and you've got the two other kind of blokes in the house who – very much kind of state school side of things and um, kind of very much more like down to earth and don't want to spend much money because, you know, they've not really had that much. They've kind of just grown up in like the sort of terrace housing that you'd find in, in like a suburban part of the UK. And sure. It, um, so there was, there was a massive kind of clash between, between those, those, those kind of two groups as it were. Mm-hmm. which was a bit quite a bit of tension in the house um and it was very boring in gloucester so we were living in gloucester and um if you've ever been to gloucester i think it's got one of the highest homelessness rates oh wow city and it was it was just so almost impoverished and you couldn't believe that this was really a city in england surrounded by the cotswolds which is so affluent and so nice yes and it was just this really, yeah, 
really not a particularly nice place to live. Um, so, so that was, yeah, so that was all a very, very interesting time. I think one of my friends was coming back from, they, they used to go to this meta, like, um, metal, like Metallica type pub every yes. night, which wasn't really my, my scene. But anyway, one of them, one of the chaps was coming back from that one night and this is 11 o'clock at night and he just sees someone walking across the road with a, with an axe just over his shoulder walking Whoa. through the middle. Yeah. It was, um, it was a weird, weird time. It was a weird, yeah. <laughs> Dodgy and weird place to, to be in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just a very, very bizarre, bizarre right. time. Um, and then sort of during this, I, because I was kind of, I was quite bored really. Yes. So I set up my own personal training business. Right. Um, and there was kind of a class room type thing that I could use on site at EDF. So I kind of marketed it with an EDF and I did circuit classes every week, which were had about 15 people at each time. Right. And, you know, I do one on one sessions for people or I write kind of meal plans and workout plans. You know, it was actually pretty popular. Um, and it was, that was a nice bit of kind of side money coming through. Um, yes. And they allowed you to do that then? Well, yeah. I mean, they can't. So I just rented out the. Oh, you rented it, right? Yeah. Um, and it it kind of worked perfectly, really. It was um, yeah, it was yeah, totally fine. Um, and yeah, so 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 yeah, did this really cool personal training thing. I really enjoyed kind of transforming people's lives, and you know, I even did that and extended that out, kind of into the town. And I was training one girl who was. I think she was 24 stone. Right. Uh, so she was really quite, quite big and, you know, she couldn't really, she couldn't do squats or anything like that because she couldn't actually support her own body weight. Yeah. Um, so that was quite an interesting challenge. And I didn't, don't think she really, she thought I was like 26 or something. She didn't really think that I was, you know, this, this 18 year old kid. Um, yeah. Personal training her, but, um, yeah. So that was kind of my start of my entrepreneurial journey really. Um and so yeah, anyway, I was bored of EDF and I was bored of kind of this kind of very technical aspect of the role and it was it didn't really seem like there was much progression or even day to day it was just very monotonous. Mm. So I got us I managed to convince my manager to give me a secondment to the London office, which was um trading of like commodities. So yes you know, buying and selling um, coal or oil or electricity. And then I learned about the electricity markets and I got to sit on the floor with the electricity traders who are making sure that, you know, um, EDF is supplying the right amount of electricity that, that, because obviously each day electricity spikes depending on who needs it and what's going on. And if it's like a World Cup final, everyone puts the kettle on. Yes huge surge and so the price goes like spikes up and everyone has to kind of help ensure that that, that gets that demand gets met yes um that was really interesting that was that was really cool to see i really enjoyed that mm. um and then that kind of made me think well maybe i shouldn't be doing chemical engineering as degree maybe i should really be doing something business or related yes um and this whole trading thing and looking into investment banking looked like the solution. Um, looked kind of, you know, you can 
earn a fair bit of money doing that. And um, it was kind of the other side of the coin. It was instead of being in the business, you're looking at investing into the business or kind of helping businesses meet meet what they need to well to, to grow essentially. Sure. Um, and so I went to okay because at the time I I kind of had um, like dyspraxia and I wasn't able to write particularly well, but also because of all this kind of mental health stuff that built up. I, yes. I was like kind of diagnosed with depression and anxiety and that almost worked in my favor because it allowed me access to a lot of these like disabled groups. Um, so, so I became part of this like um, this network. So uh, I'm trying to, is it my plus disability? So I'd, I'd go and speak to like recruiters from kind of FTSE 100 companies. And my first sort of intro to that, and it was all on, on the topic of diversity and disability and encouraging more employers to hire more disabled people. Right. And so my first intro to that was this getting an investment banking networking event. And I met, you know, this, this banker from Goldman Sachs. I think his name's Ellis Jones, and you know he was helping Rolls Royce to buy companies over in multiple countries and cities, and you know each deal he was involved in was between a hundred to a billion, like U.S. dollars or pounds, and you know it, was, it just was this sort of insane world of. Yes. Of chess I think it was it was just a game of chess ultimately mm. um and so that sort of got me really excited about that and tried to set, so almost set me on that path and and um that's sort of when I went to Loughborough so so I kind of finished off at oh no so I finished off at Gloucester mm. and then went for a month's travel around Bali with my friend Harry um and this was sort of the pinnacle of of my my sort of mental health because I think up to this point I was actually well I was I was suicidal and um and I was having a lot of counselling and you know I'd, I'd get into the shower and you know my, my my daily dream would be being hit by a double deck decker bus right. and but then that was sort of a catch twenty two because I was also because of this history of of death and I mean I was quite. I actually kind of saw my granddad before he died and my other papa just after he died. And I don't know. And so I was also terribly scared of dying as well. So being scared of death also caused a panic attack. So, yes. So I'd kind of be depressed and be like, oh, what? My life's worthless. You know, um, is there any point to it? But then I, the thought of actually dying then spiked a panic attack. Mm. So just this constant wave of depression and anxiety that just circulated and um and so when i when i went to bali it reached a pinnacle because we went to this palm reader and the palm so you know my, my friend goes in there and it's 15 minutes later he's like oh that's quite interesting you know i found out i'm gonna get married at 26 or something i was like, <laughs> I was like okay that sounds like like pretty interesting i'll find out you know what, what's going on and um so when i get in there he says well I can either tell you about your future or I can answer a question, which do you want to know? And uh, I immediately picked the question and I said, you know, will I ever be happy? Um, Cause I didn't, 
I didn't know happiness was like a possibility. I didn't think that it was like an actual, I didn't know it was an attainable thing. Yes. Um, I, I didn't, having never really experienced it, I didn't think that other people experienced it. Um, and so that was kind of a very deep, deep moment. And we kind of went into a lot of stuff. Um, and, um, yeah, and he, you know, we kind of talked about how, you know, valuing people. And so I'd always had this thing with girls where I would kind of be interested in one person, but then I'd see suddenly when you get to know them more, you obviously see, you know, more about them. So, you know, more flaws, but then, so then I as immediately, if I saw one flaw, I'd then compare it to another girl, but you know, maybe I hadn't been chatting to as much, but I was like, oh, well, she's, like different in this way. So maybe I should just put all my energy into to her instead. So I was con- continually picking up and dropping people essentially. Mm-hmm. And not only was that probably very confusing for them, but it was also very unfulfilling and unrewarding for me because I never really got anywhere with anyone. Yes. Constantly. I, yeah, I was co- constantly comparing people all the time, which is, which is not, not an ideal thing to do. Um, and he, the one, the best thing that he suggested me to do was to actually write a journal, to buy a journal, and to, and that really did transform my life. But, but that whole kind of experience was a little bit tainted because he asked me to do a whole body scan, and um, you know that that involved me kind of getting naked on a bench while he performed some weird ritual, um, which I probably wasn't the most comfortable with. Um, no, because <laughs> this guy had nails that were his nails were probably the same length as a 30 no not um a 15 centimeter ruler wow yeah it was um it was kind of it was a bit creepy really um so so that was a very yeah that was a very very strange experience but it was also you know opening and enlightening at the same time so it was a yeah, I don't really. I still don't really know what to make of it to this day. No, I um, can imagine. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I did... can. I send you a hesitation around it, and yeah, the thing yeah. is, I mean, all of us. I'll, I'll give you a little break there, Jack. To, um, but all of us have a as we go through life, because we don't know what's around the corner. Mm-hmm. We think that other people can give us the answers of what's around the corner potentially. And therefore, you know, when we're given the opportunity or presented the opportunity for somebody who allegedly can tell what's going to happen for you Mm. in the future, um, then we're going to go, Hey, that will be interesting to know. Yeah. Go on then. Tell me what's going to happen. You know, as if, you know, type of thing. And, it's it's a really interesting dynamic because mm. the place where we start before we want to know, and you've heard me speak about this previously, I think, yeah, is that we start from a place of fear and doubt. Mm. And when we are in a place of fear and doubt, we're very vulnerable. Yeah, you know. So when you're in doubt of saying, "Will I ever be happy?" That's that's being in mm. doubt. You know? Yeah. Um, the, and of course the kind of fear and doubt will 
result in something as a catch-all title is called suffering. Yeah. And whether you call that depression or panic attacks or whatever, that's all classed as suffering. Mm. And that suffering prevents happiness, you know, and, and, and happiness is the absence of suffering. And it's all very well for me to say it, and it sounds really easy like that. And we, you and I both know it's not that easy to fulfill that. And mm. um, so, okay, so, so you started journaling and you felt that assisted you. Um, yeah. So how did you manage to... You know, so there's lots of things going on there, isn't there? There's you're yeah. like you're like being thrown in the deep end and swim. You know, everything's being thrown at you here. Yeah, I mean, uh, so so another thing during that trip as well, which really kind of made me think I've I've really got to get things sorted because that. So I was kind of opening up to my friend, and I said, you know, um, kind of yeah, I'm just in a really bad place, and you know, I'm really struggling. Um, and his response was, oh, you're not that bad. My friend, I had to stop my friend committing suicide, you know, last month. And I, and I, that it was just this sort of lack of, I think I was, what I was looking for was that kind of connection and that, that bit of empathy. But that really upset me because I was, I was like, well, you don't, you don't really know what's going on with me. You don't really understand. Mm -hmm. yeah. But at the same time, it was, it was a blessing because, you know, it forced me to you know, stay, step up and actually make my own, you know, decide who I actually wanted to be and, you know, not rely on other people to kind of save me, which yes. is, which is important at the same time. Um, and so the journaling okay maybe it, it could have assisted me i'm not really sure if it at that point it did i wasn't really doing it particularly well it was very on and off um and it was um so i, I got back kind of from bali and um went started university and it was just this whirlwind of you know you, you joined freshers and it's it's, you know, peer pressure drinking, it's going out every night, it's, you know, a lot of trying to um, please other people and, um, yeah, you're trying to fit in as quickly as possible and you want to fit in with as many people as possible. So, so I wasn't particularly myself, I guess, and I wasn't really confident in myself. And this was a, a kind of big transition moment for me. Um, so I, because I, you know, I felt again, I kind of went back to this falling into the wrong circles, but also, just, you know, excessively drinking and, you know, that obviously plays a big part in your mental health. And, um, I just wasn't very centered at all. Um, and I was, yeah, just kind of following other people around essentially rather than being my own person. Yes. Um, and so that was a very, that first year was a very turbulent time. Went back into kind of counseling and, um, trying to figure a lot of things out and went, still had significant panic attacks frequently. Um, uh, but I, 
but I actually started reading some really interesting books of people from what people had suggested on this trip to Bali and you know Eckhart Tolle um, New Earth was one of the ones that I started reading and and reading these sort of books just gave me a complete consciousness shift right so it really deconstructed kind of the world around me which initially really fucked me up um and i kind of i had to go a bit deeper and i and you know it got worse because of that and i i tried medication for a little bit but that made things worse and you know i felt completely oh like completely out of out of it north um but then slowly you know because because in, in in this book it's like you know a tree is not really a tree. A tree is only a tree because you label a tree. Or he also dives into, you know, the effect that your, your parents have on you. And so when you're kind of hit with this new information, your whole, you're just trying to figure everything out, but it kind of takes you back three steps because everything, all the foundations that you initially had had been completely knocked down. Yeah, totally. Um, and so... But when once I started to kind of rebuild upon that, it was a much stronger foundation, and you know I had a better and deeper understanding of who I really was, um, and that really got kind of developed in my year abroad. So I, you know, I had two years at Loughborough University, and then this third year I just travelled around, and and I really went on this really amazing journey. So, Mike, have you ever heard of the hero's journey? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's what I use in my storytelling teaching. Wow. So that's how I feel my life's played out. You know, and, and interestingly enough, Jack, everybody's life plays out that way. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But in different ways. I was having that discussion with somebody else the other day. Mm. That I, I, I have a tagline now that says, um, when I introduce myself, I say, yeah. Hi, I'm Michael De Groot, Chief Storyteller at Staying Alive UK. I help yeah. people and businesses tell better stories. I know your story. Yeah. You know, because actually, although there are different facets in everybody's story, we mm. are all living our own hero's journey in some oh, way. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And it's, I've been reading kind of the book. Um, that 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 that's obviously all been based on, and you know, it really is. It's incredibly fascinating. And it's incredibly interesting. Um, but the, I guess the, the biggest correlation for me was that you know this hero goes away on an adventure, and I went, you know, to four different countries around the world. I had incredible challenges and like, trials, and it was a massive adventure, and um. And there's also, you know, being reborn. Well, so I was, I had food poisoning and, you know, I was stuck in bed for three weeks with no money to, to pay medical bills, but I, I had to just eat pot noodles. And I literally, the first thing I said to, to someone when I was kind of well enough to walk again was, you know, I've been reborn and I'd written during this time, I'd written my life plan and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to achieve. And I kind of went back into the world with this like huge purpose and came back to the UK with this massive purpose, which was the social mercenary. And I did loads and loads of different things that we can, I guess, go into in a bit more yeah. detail. But um, it was just, 
seeing that align so well with with obviously this kind of wheel of the hero's journey it kind of gave me encouragement to where i am now which is i'm not necessarily doing what i want to be doing which is i didn't want to finish my degree um and so it's kind of given me some encouragement that you know i can i can still do the things that i want to do um which is really yeah really encouraging and really interesting and and when we've met before it's really interesting about you in terms of your impatience in you know you wanted to have achieved so much by the age that you are but would you like to tell the listeners actually how old you are yeah so wait um i actually always have to think about this do you Uh, yeah i'm 24 i was born in 1994 so i think that's right so yeah i think i'm 24 going on 25 i think that's correct um because I don't, I don't know why. But I just, I lost track at one point, and now when any, anyone says, "Oh, how old are you?" then I think it's, I think it's the trance, like it's, it's the um, when you have a birthday, you don't suddenly think, oh, "Okay, now I'm this old," and you, you immediately now for the rest of the year, no. I mean, maybe other people can do that better, but I think, "Oh, it's my birthday." I don't think, "Oh, I'm now this age." Hmm. So it never really sinks in. So when people ask, I'm like, oh, actually, how old am I? I, I can't understand that about you. <laughs> Only because y- y- your life experience is beyond the years that you are actually are right now. Mm. So you have crammed in so much. <laughs> and, I mean, we probably won't have time to get everything out of it, but um, yeah. because... You, you, and that's why you've got the feeling like oh, I should have achieved so much more by now. But you have just mm. got such a massive lifetime ahead of you still, yeah. In terms of being able to achieve multiple things, mm. um, but it is good to be impatient. You know, definitely, yeah. it's good to be impatient, but not obsessively so that it will make you potentially yeah. ill or, you know, mm. feeling. Uh, a failure of any kind because that's that's not true. Yeah, this guy, the guy Gary V or Gary Vaynerchuk, I don't know if you know. Yes, know I know him. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, you know, um, macro patience, micro impatience. So it's the sort of thing of, you know, these small things. If you get them done as quick as you can possibly do them, but then you've got the long term patience of, for instance, his dream is to buy the New York Jets. Um, which he knows is way, way off, but he, and he knows it's going to take a very long time, but he can make this client in this particular instance super happy and he can grow this this business and make that and do this and that. And he can kind of build all these different things as far as fast as he can do at that given time for those particular things. And that will eventually play into the long game that he's, he's looking at. Yeah. And, we we let, we won't have time to go into Gary V and his approach, yeah. Um, and at the same time, because I mean he's an American guy, right? And yeah. um, the Americans are very very focused on the financial rewards, mm, definitely. Um, which don't get me wrong, it's useful to have money because mm. it gives you choice. Um, yeah. What we also know, both of us know, that having mm. money doesn't make you happy. So, yeah. but he's equating his dream of 
creating wealth and being able to buy something with that wealth as achieving something in life, which yeah. actually that's not a great metaphor for other people to live up to. Um, no. In my no. view, it's, 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 a, it's something that could sting us later on in life yeah. in terms of, well, I haven't achieved the wealth, I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve, so I failed. Yeah. Whereas actually, you know. I think so many people fall into that. I think for him, though, he's got a, he's got a slightly different approach, which is that he, he loves this, what he's doing right now. He loves the journey. Whereas yes. other people don't understand that the journey is required or they don't appreciate the journey and therefore they they exactly feel like like you stated. And I think it's common for a lot of people because they don't understand that it's going to take a long time or it's going to have challenges and and things like that. Yeah, yeah. No, great. So one thing you missed out because you, you, you kind of jumped into Loughborough University and the two yeah. years that you'd done and everything, but you hadn't told us that what did you go and study and what how did yeah. you decide because you, you'd gone into kind of engineering and and nuclear stuff yeah at one stage then you you kind of learned more about other things so just give us a, a yeah, yeah. kind of preamble to that and how you got into that course so i met this guy tanashi who was so i met this guy tanashi who was an amazing um i think he was a civil engineer and he was also working on our team and I also had the friend Adam who was doing chemical engineering at Loughborough. And you know, Adam was showing me the course modules and I was thinking, oh God, I don't think I'm really going to enjoy this. Um, and Tanashi sat me down one day and said, look, there's two sides to a business. There's the shareholders and the CEOs and there's the employees. The employees get paid for what they do. They get paid on a time basis. But the investors and the shareholders, they get paid on their returns of investment and the capital flows of money and, you know, how they move resources about is kind of how they get rewarded. And typically, if you want to be at the top of an organization, you've got that's the route. You've, you can't you're not really going to get it from being an employee and working your way up. You've got to go in from this investment angle, because during my time there, I, I was always. They always saw me like dreaming at the corner desks by the window hmm. and saying, oh, that's what that's where I'd like to be, you know, managing a big team or heading up an organization of some sort. Um, and so he said, look, yeah, that's what you need to do. So then like, I went, did this secondment. I then found this investment banking networking event. And then I was like, right, well, actually, I think banking finance would be a good degree. I found that there was a degree at Loughborough. And I thought, okay, well, how good are Loughborough at this sort of thing? Okay, they're not number one. They're not like LSE or they're not like Oxford, but they're still pretty decent. They're in the top 10, um, and it's very easy to transfer, especially given that you know I've only got four months until I start my course or five months or something. So I transferred. It was very easy. Um and I started doing banking, finance, and management at Loughborough. Right. Brilliant. It's been an amazing course because it's not just banking, it's not just finance, but it's business and it's, you know, um, kind of psychology as well. And so it's this really, again, eclectic mix of lots of different things that are very useful. Um, and I mean, this is... <laughs> 
I'm kind of like listening to myself say this and thinking, Jack, what, what's going on? Because I don't think the degree or, or this degree was particularly valued for money in terms of um, what you pay and what you get out of it. However, I do think that comparatively this degree of all business maybe degrees was was very good yes uh, and so and so yeah so so i jumped in on this and you know my first year did okay my second year did okay um did some interesting modules um and i mean the first two years i mean i wasn't really i did the work and i worked hard but I wouldn't say I enjoyed it. I didn't, um, I just sort of got through it and, you know, I had some nice friends out outside of my course and outside of my uni. And, um, yeah, we actually, we lived in a, some, some crazy house, which was, you know, two, um, it actually was two buildings. So one was just for parties and the other was for living. And so <laughs> being with kind of, very hockey based um like roommates or housemates there was a lot of hockey socials at this at the back of our house um and then there was one one night at this it was a kind of electronic music event and i think it was we hadn't really had a big party at the house and it's a it's a double story building you know it fits a lot of people it's on the on the top floor it's uh neon lights on the bottom floor it kind of had this like bar and snooker table and and it was like well uh, we're about to leave uni or we're about to finish this stint and like why don't we just have a party so we told a couple of people at the club and before you know it we've got about 200 300 people at this place and it just was absolute chaos i mean oh you my could, god the mm. bodies everywhere mm. what was quite funny about this was that i uh, so i my memory of it's kind of a bit blurred now because it was a couple of years ago, but I was having gone back to university. I've been working at the local gym and I was just chatting to one of the guys I was working with. And I said, Oh, so you work on security. So you have to go and shut parties down. What was the worst one that you ever had to shut down? It's like, oh, it was on fear on street. You know, I stopped counting at 200 people. I was like, wait, when was this? <laughs> and it was, it was my party. It was essentially this party. There. <laughs> The bit that he said that actually it was super super easy shut down. He he arrived, the DJ turned off the music, ran out of the building. But the issue for them as the university was that once they they had, can you imagine like three hundred people just exiting this house, mm. and instead of just having the one party, you now had like seven parties of forty people that they had to to go and attend to instead of this 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 one big one. But um. So that was just a very fortuitous moment that kind of come back full circle. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then having been in my second year at university, there was this placement. And I know that I'd already done the nine to five work in yes. a big organization from my before university. And, I, and this, we had to take a place when it was compulsory in the middle of our course. And I thought, I can't do that again. I can't just go work for an organization, sit there, not do anything meaningful. Um, that's really not what I'm interested in. So I convinced, it took a lot of convincing. I convinced the head of the placement team to let me 
do a volunteering experience in Ghana for three or four months. Right. Um, on the basis that I got a CMI qualification, which was like a management qualification. Um, and then I had convinced them that I could split because that placement wasn't long enough. I then convinced them that I could find a placement in Hong Kong. And then I would do the final six months as a study abroad attachment right. in Singapore. Right. So I had this insane year. So, you know, I'm working in Ghana, helping Samuel and his smoked fish business of hygienically packaged fish. And I'm having to do market research in kind of the market stalls of Ghana, which I can tell you when you see fish at 30 degrees out on the street corner, it doesn't smell too pleasant. Whoa. Yeah. So we had to write him a business plan and an investment deck and help him do some marketing. And that was a really great learning curve, especially for such a different culture. Yes. And I was, you know, I was working directly with a Ghanaian as well. So, um, so yeah, going to Ghana was very strange because it was literally like going home. You know, everyone else, it's a completely different culture and they felt completely homesick. I didn't. I, I just I arrived on the first day and I was like, wow. I thought I'd be feeling a bit weird, but I actually feel completely relaxed and completely at home here. Wow, fantastic. Yeah. And I've, I've retained that love kind of ever since and I'm just itching to go back now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so Ghana was amazing. Um, Hong Kong wasn't as planned, but it was still amazing. So I was trying to get still into this investment banking industry and I was trying to get internships, but I didn't speak Mandarin or Cantonese, which was a big kind of, it, it, it was, it basically meant that that was getting anything like that was hard. And I ended up getting some really ridiculous internship as a, a marketing internship for a holistic health center, mm -hmm. which at the time I really wasn't, wasn't particularly things I was into. So they were doing, you know, re, like Reiki and um, meditations and acupuncture and all this holistic and crystal therapy. Yes. And it was, you know, it was a world that I kind of seen my mum be a part of and I was just, you know, looked kind of very, uh, yeah, I, I just kind of not looked down upon, but I was a bit like suspicious of. That's probably the best word. Yes, I'm in the industry I was suspicious of, and I, it didn't help being at this place where I was being paid six pound a day and being, you know, treated really badly, really, because I was working. She was, despite being paid six pound a day, she was trying to make me work from eight in the morning till six or seven at night, Monday to Saturday. And where was this? Hong Kong, Singapore. Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Hong Kong, yeah. Um, and so I knew it was bad when someone came for an internship and they only lasted three days. So after that, I, I quit. And, you know, her response was, I, and I just said, look, if you want someone to stay longer and to do like a decent job, how about you just pay them, you know, a decent wage? <laughs> Six a day isn't really that. And her response was, you've got a terrible energy. Um, and you've really kind of dampened the environment in which this, this sanctuary is. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I've paid people less and they've done a better job than you. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that wasn't really, how did that experience. make you feel? <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Terrific. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
so, so but it, it that was a weird blessing in disguise because after that i was saying oh uh, that that allowed me to get my hong kong visa and then i was like oh crap now i've got to really try and find something to live on um and i managed to find weekend work at um a surf shop in hong kong which was like a three-hour trek away which but it was at this you know exclusive beach hut, hut which i got to got to stay at um and then I got a job during the week counting seeds for this <laughs> seed distributor. Uh, it was all very bizarre, but it, you know, it worked out perfectly. And so I'd gone from being almost impoverished at the, the beginning of this to, um, to having enough money to fund a trip to Japan to go skiing with my brother, um, which was insane. Oh, it was just amazing. Um, and, and during this time as well, I'd set up the social mercenary because it started off as a travel blog. Um, and that was just during my time at Ghana, really. And then when I was in Hong Kong, I was like, oh, why don't I sell backpacks? That'd be really cool. Um, and I ship over some backpacks. They're terribly made. It cost a bomb. Um, the shipping was three times as expensive as the backpacks. Some of my money gets like, caught within a transaction over to Ghana and I have to get my aunt to bail bail me out with a message saying, you know, my money was meant to be sent to Ghana, but it's got stuck. Can you send some money over? And this was like a couple of grand. So you know, she was obviously quite nervous about that because it's, that sounds like some sort of email about a Nigerian prince that, you know, you just, you can, you can obtain his wealth if you just send over to like, you know, Yes. A bit of money. Yeah, sure. So, sure, yeah. Uh, but actually that all worked out okay. We got some bags over and so whilst also doing these other two jobs, I was also, you know, on every street corner selling social mercenary backpacks. In Hong uh, Kong. In Hong Kong, yeah. But you I, you got them made in Ghana? Yeah, and shipped over. Which was and expensive. that was through the contacts that you had there. Yeah. 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 That you'd made but, after you'd when exactly. to volunteer and it was it was a, there was a lot of mistakes there and it was very expensive to ship over i think it cost so the backpacks might have cost a few hundred pounds to make the shipping was a couple of grand um it was ridiculous you know i learned a lot during that process mm, a bit but um yeah i i was selling on street corners and i was selling in universities um until i get kicked out of universities and i'd pretend to be a foreign exchange student i didn't know what the rules were um but i, I couldn't i couldn't understand when when people were trying to chuck me out because they were talking to me in cantonese and i just didn't understand what they were saying so that was so they, they had to get like a student to come and translate them telling me off which was <laughs> quite amazing okay and and so that the idea for doing the backpacks, where mm -hmm. did it come from, Jack? Why why did you decide it was Jack was backpacks? Um, so I think I was in the UK for like a week, and I brought back a few of these backpacks, and my mum and my brother were like, "These are amazing! You should definitely like sell these to a few people. I know a few people would buy these. These are beautiful." Right, right. So, and being the entrepreneur that I am, I was like, okay, I can make some money out of this. Sure. Let's try it. And, um, it became much less of a money making thing than a, 
kind of social project. And uh, when I was in Hong Kong, I got picked up by um, local kind of news um, who did like videos on me. Um, I got interviewed by lots of different people and yeah, it kind of became a little thing, which is quite cool. Um, and yeah, so I, 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 t- I, I kind of took the success of that and moved it into Singapore and continued it and, you know, I had a little fan base growing up from all the exchange students and I met some local people that were really nice and really loved the idea of the social mercenary. Um, so yeah, it really, you know, just was, yeah, it was amazing. Um, and it was just a kind of cool journey that, that took me back to the UK almost with, with the social mercenary mm. coming to this, this kind of, Singaporean exchange, you know, this kind of writing the life plan and, um, you know, being reborn as it were, um, then developed onto this. Yeah. Some, something that was kind of much more, oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see that? Okay. I've started this business. It started getting some legs. Mm -hmm. Did you think, right, this is what I'm going to be doing from now on? I don't need to go back to university or? Um, I didn't actually think, oh, I don't need university. Right. Um, right. But I was I was very much committed to the social mercenary. And I, I've, I believe that that was my future and that was my only future. Got it. Um, but when I got to university and I was, my first module was small business issues. And the woman she never started a business. She didn't know what the small business issues were. Right. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. Wow. I'm, I'm not learning anything of value here. That's going to help the business because that was my mindset at the time. It was what's going to help the social mercenary push forward. And the university degree doesn't help the business. I mean, it helps me get a job, but it doesn't help the business become successful or better. Uh, because you're not really learning skills that are particularly transferable into entrepreneurship. Um, I mean, you do learn some useful skills during a degree, but it's not like, it's not how to make millions, essentially, or or how to run a profitable, sustainable social enterprise. It's, yeah. it's, it has to do with that. No. Fascinating. Obviously, um, just a tiny little segue. Our mm-hmm. listeners will know that you're near the Heathrow flight path because oh, so yeah. often we, I can hear a, a plane going over. It's ever <laughs> so. It almost sounds like it's a, a, a sound issue on our microphones. Oh, I no. just wanted to reassure our listeners that these these are just planes flying over into yeah. Heathrow. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry about that. No, yeah, it's um... no problem. No problem. I just wanted to give him the heads up that it's not our sound quality. It's just planes. Exactly. It's, it's just the Heathrow flight path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, so where are we then? Where have we got to? You've, you've, you've got Sing- Singapore. Yeah, you're doing Singapore. the small business that wasn't helping you. Yeah. So yeah. that was Hong Kong. Then I moved to Singapore. I did an exchange. Um, and in Singapore, it was kind of studying a few modules. Um, I was traveling about a bit. So I went to countries like Myanmar, 
Cambodia. Wow. Uh, I went to Australia for a little bit um, and went back to Bali actually as well, which is really interesting because it was four years after and was it four years or three years? Um, and it was completely transformed. You know, it was so much more built up and touristy. Um, yeah, a completely different place. Mm. So, um, so yeah, from, so from this exchange, I came back, I convinced two, well, one friend and one person I didn't know that well to come and live with me in my parents' house in Budley to come work on the social mercenary. We worked together for about three months with this Kickstarter campaign, raised about 10,000 pounds, um, and went to loads of trade shows and really tried to push this thing forward. Yes. Uh, and I was still, and then I went back to sort of university, but, and I was kind of, I was really not very happy there. I was really not enjoying it whatsoever. But um, the crunch moment came when I got an opportunity to go to the biggest exhibition in Germany for sports goods or outdoors goods. And they gave me a free exhibition stand. Whoa. This, and this place is like, I mean, it's probably as big as Heathrow Airport. And it was just full of big businesses. Um, and this was on the day of some of my exams or on the week of my exams. And I just thought, this opportunity is too big to miss. Yes. So I'm just going to kind of sack in the university and pursue this. Um, and so that's what I did and I had a, it was amazing it was it was amazing so I mean the outcome of that was that the bags got put into um, have you heard of Regasta Outdoors no okay um, have you heard of Crag Hoppers no <laughs> okay so these are all kind of outdoor companies that have yes. stores across the UK yeah so from that event I met the director of that company and we got put in some of their stores um we also got a £10,000 order from a French company, which has just been fulfilled. Um, so none of those things would have happened if I hadn't have gone to that trade show. No. Um, and so that was really quite extraordinary. Um, and, yeah, so then the rest of the year was Social Mercenary. It was going through festival after festival, um, which was fun, but got quite tedious and intense after a while because you know it's it's um you go down there you set everything up it's then four or three days of from nine in the morning till 2 a.m at night mm. um and you're just dealing with a lot of kind of drunk people who are or like on other things um who aren't necessarily that interested in buying and yeah, it all becomes this like price competition basically. And, you know, we started instead of selling social mercenary stuff, we were just selling sunglasses because that's what people at festivals would want to mm. buy. Mm. And it really detracted from, from the business. Yes. And actually before that I'd been at a market stall in London, which was pretty good, but it meant that I'd go down on a Saturday morning. I'd leave my house in Worcestershire at five. I'd get down there for the market to, and set up by nine I trade all day. I then go back to Windsor. I sleep sleep for a little bit, drive back down 
to London, do the market stall the next day, leave at six, and then drive back up to Worcestershire for about 10 p.m. Yes. And I did that for about three months, and that, again, was really intense um, and very time-consuming as well. Mm. Mm. Um, so so it was it kind of just became this really intense journey and I was kind of alone for a lot of it and um yeah it just became very 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 tiresome very difficult and with the festivals I really tried to push it forward but it you know we and we had a really good success at one festival making about three thousand pounds but then the next couple of festivals just some were broke even some were losses um and it just you know by the end of it we just were in such a bad position um like the business was in a bad position i was in a bad position i mean i knew it was bad when i was driving back from one festival and this was the third trip i had to make because we couldn't actually afford to hire a van so we had to do it in a car yes and we had all stuff backwards and forwards on a two-hour kind of drive um and i was doing the final trip i was coming back up and because i guess i was so exhausted i lost concentration nearly hit the inside barrier of the fast lane swerved across did a 360 across the motorway and ended up with the car looking back down the motorway um on the layby in the wrong completely the wrong direction mm. and um i mean this lorry stops and helped me out and he just said wow you're very lucky um because that could have ended up in a completely different different scenario yeah yeah scary yeah so so that was really scary and um i think that just made me think you know i've got to start looking after myself a bit more Mm. Uh, Mm. and but then at the same time you know that those sort of um cusps with death i guess or being close like those those sort of experiences they do make you appreciate your life and they also make you appreciate that you must have some sort of reason to be here because it could have so easily been been the other way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so get us up to date then. Okay. <laughs> where are you? Where are you with the business? And yeah. where are you with your course? Mm-hmm. And how has the life plan developed after those amazing experiences mm. and and learnings that you've gone through? Yeah. So. I kind of after that that literal crash I had a very mental crash and um I just kind of fell out of love with the social mercenary um and I was just like and the business was in debt and it was just a complete and utter mess um I fell out of my suppliers and it was just all all really very intense um so I went back to university because my parents were deeply unhappy that I'd left in the first place. Um, and I just, and so actually at the time I'd moved down to London, I was staying in an abandoned warehouse in London for, for basically next to nothing. I was working at Uber Eats as one of their sales reps selling the platform across the UK. And I was really enjoying that. It was like one of the top producers. And I think obviously some of my, social mercenary background had really helped with that um and i was really loving that but i speak i was speaking to student finance i was speaking to loughborough university and loughborough university were adamant that i couldn't distance learn and that i had to go back yeah 
And after speaking with lots of different people, I thought, well, I'm never going to get this opportunity again to go back and do it because my cousin who played professional rugby, he left it three years and he didn't go back and finish his degree. Mm. And it's mm. not put him in a particularly bad state, but it's, it was just something that he couldn't then do. And student finance said, you know, you've, you've already had four years of funding. You can only have a maximum of five. You have to kind of do this now if you want to do it. Um, so I just bit the bullet. Um, I'd saved up a bit of money from working at Uber Eats and getting bonuses, etc. Um, and I just moved up to Loughborough, found some house that was <laughs> not, it didn't even have any students in it. No. Uh, met some amazing housemates, but, um, and I was a month late from the course or maybe six weeks late. I went into this course where, you know, people just saw me for the first time, didn't really know who I was and they just thought like why is this guy just rocked up after I've been studying here for like three years um, yeah. so anyway, I kind of get into it and I you know I don't really have anything better to do except study so so I'm studying um, and it was a good reflective period I had a module called advanced interpersonal skills where we had to set ourselves a goal um, and we had to ref self-reflect and we had to write a reflective journal every day, which was so, so important to my like healing process and like understanding what had just happened over the kind of last year. Yes. And then one of my kind of most important goals was to do this Ironman or half Ironman, which was two kilometer swim, um, 90 kilometer bike ride and a 21 something kilometer run. Mm which I'd planned to do in New Zealand. And so all of it, during this time I was training twice a day to do, do that. Um, and actually having that consistency in my life was so, so important and actually building that consistency within myself to do something every day was, oh, it was, it was incredibly rewarding. Yes. Um, and so I had this kind of, um, slight issue when I went to, uh, went to the air, airport to, to get on the flight to go to New Zealand and <laughs> I spilled orange juice on my passport the day before. Wow. It wrecked my passport. I get, and I, the photo is a bit dodgy. I'm like, oh, I've got to just try this. So I get to the counter and they're just like, sorry, you can't get on the plane today. We just can't accept you with this passport. Oh, wow. I know. And I ring up, I ring them up and I, the, you know, the insurance people and I say, look, this has happened. Can you help me? Is there anything you can do? And they said, no, because this is a passport issue. It's your responsibility. Yeah. So I was absolutely devastated. Um, but I thought, you know, I can't just let this kind of beat me. So I did the Ironman by myself using kind of apps on your phone to track it. And I just did it around Loughborough, around the university. And I was, you know, I was so happy that I was able to actually complete it and do it. Because it was a, it was a real tough, tough one. Mm. And so, so up to speed now. I'm, I've got one more exam left. Pretty much finished my degree. Um, social mercenary is now on a bit more of an even keel as we just completed an order for 400 backpacks and 4,000 pencil cases. Um, but I'm still not sure how to take it forward. I'm thinking about bringing on a fabric designer. Um, and someone else to kind of share the business with. Um, and I've 
want to move down to London and live in London and have some independence. Um, so I've, I'm in a final round into interview stage for this, this job, which connects is a knowledge brokering. So it essentially means that, you know, if someone wants to find an expert in a particular field, I'm the plug essentially. I'm like, I'm the industry plug. So I don't know, let's say someone wants to invest in a mining company. I've got to go and find the person that knows about nickel deposits in Alaska and find that expert and connect them together. Yes. Um, and so that would be a really great experience. And I think that would be a great kind of foot in the door to a lot of like different amazing people. And also just, it would just be, I'd be based in London as well. So I'm not really sure on the next steps, but I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I've got some independence, I've got some money to make sure that I'm able to, to have my own life and to make my own decisions. Yes. Um, and to to kind of see where this entrepreneurial thing will go, um, but hopefully by bringing people on in on the side, you know, it can it frees up more of my time and it maybe it can help inform decision making because it's not just always circulating in my head. There's other people there to support me. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Whoa, man! <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a long one. I was trying to trying to chase it up towards the end, but it's. Um, I was yeah insane. I know there is a lot more, and and let's pause it at this stage because mm. I think it's it's an amazing story. And thank you so much for being so openly sharing everything that you've been through. You know your mental health, all of mm. the personal stuff, and and trials that you've had to to overcome. Um, it is it is really useful for our listeners because. Hopefully, the audience that's listening are people that are either in business, unsure yeah. about whether to continue with it, how do they go to the next stage yeah. uh, of growth, or people that are in jobs, working for big companies, yeah. and are fed up, have a good idea, don't know how to get started. And and your story is definitely inspiring, and it will yeah. be inspirational for people that are listening. So thank you so much. Well, if people want to connect with you, um, either help you out or, you know, have a conversation with you, how can yeah. they find you? If you, I, We'll be in the show notes. So if you could just mention the best places for them to yeah. look you up. So, so the best place to look me up is uh, my Instagram account at Jack H Fellows. So it's just Jack H Fellows. And also... Um, my email is just jackhfellows at gmail.com as well. Okay, brilliant. And um, they, can, they, they can look up the social mercenary if they want yeah, to. So yeah. And the social mercenary obviously is at the social mercenary for Instagram or anything like that. And it's the socialmercenary.co.uk if you're uh, interested in looking at anything that we've got. Or you can just type in a social mercenary ASOS as well because we've got and a silent ASOS that you can look at as well. Okay, brilliant. Okay, well, I'll include all those in the notes as well. So if people brilliant. can't find it, they can they can look it up. Yeah, that's and fantastic. So great to speak with you, Jack. Oh, and you next Amazing. time in Budley, give me a shout. We'll have a catch up and see how things are going. But success <laughs> with awesome. the final interview round with that company. That sounds mm. 
Thank amazing you. and exciting. Uh, do <clears throat> let me know how that works out as well. I will. And um, thank you so much for coming on the Share Your Story podcast. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Staying Alive UK. Share your story.